Welcome to the Scribes Journal. I am your host, the Scribe of Worlds, and I am joined once again this week by the Violet author. I know you missed me! Very, very graciously letting us take a week to talk about poetry last week, but we are jumping back in with prophecy. And if you didn't see that one coming, that's on you. Yeah, because it was foretold. It was foretold, yeah. So <laughs> the, the prompt for this week is called as foretold. And the reason I called it that was because there's a joke where whenever anyone texts AF, read it as foretold, because it just gets that much funnier. Yeah, dude, I'm about to go party. It's going to be lit AF. It's going to be lit as foretold. It's going to be lit. The beacons of Gondor as foretold. (laughs) Exactly. I'm glad someone gets it. Yes. I do. But anyway, the point of the prompt is to redo the history assignment from a while back. And instead of looking back at what all has happened, you're going to look forward and kind of prophesy what's going to happen. And that prompt and writing in itself is pretty self-explanatory. And we'll probably give you some ideas for that throughout the episode. But we wanted to really hone in on plot design. How do you build a plot? But yeah, let's jump into it. Yeah. Last week in talking about poetry, the idea of prophecy came up and my wife mentioned Percy Jackson. And so I wanted to share the first prophecy from the first Percy Jackson book. So there's two series that are specifically about Percy Jackson and then there's other stuff that happens in the world. But anyway, so this is from the first book of the first series, which is called The Lightning Thief. And it reads, You shall go west and face the god who has turned. You shall find what was stolen and see it safely returned. You shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend. And you shall fail to save what matters most in the end. So from the get-go, it's a pretty chilling prophecy. And when you hear it, you can kind of get an idea for what's going to happen in that first book. Now, Violet, you've never read Percy Jackson. No, I have not. I actually haven't read a lot of the classics of my generation. Hunger Games, I just started reading that for the first time. I never read Twilight. Percy Jackson eluded me. Only recently finished Harry Potter a few years ago, and most of the kids that I knew growing up finished that way before me. So a bit late on the bus for this, but uh, you know all about it, I I, I suppose. Well, I'm actually going to put you on the spot. And I have the answers. I couldn't remember what any of these lines meant. But I have the answers from paisleyreads.com. Check them out. I don't know who they are, but they wrote an article about this. So anyway, I have the answers here. So I'm going to have you try and guess what a line might mean. (laughs) So the first one is, you shall go west and face the god who has turned. Okay. You shall go west and face the god who has turned. So I know Percy Jackson is about Greek mythology. Going off of the movie Hercules, I know that Hades is a bad dude. Okay. And that he's always trying to overthrow Thor? (laughs) Thor? Question mark? It is not Thor, but keep going. (laughs) Yeah, the dude, you know, lightning dude. The lightning dude. I understand. I understand the... That guy. Zeus! Zeus! It is Zeus. (laughs) It is definitely That was a test. I wanted to make sure you were really a fan. So I'm going to say that they're going to have to go because the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. They're going to have to go to the place where the sun sets to go under into the underworld and face Hades. Wow. 
So halfway right. Oh. Yeah. You shall go west. They travel from New York, where Camp Half Blood is located, to California. So that's literally a physical going west. But the subtext, yes, they do go to DOA Records, which is the door to the underworld. So very nicely done. Yeah, I had a feeling when they all when they specify an east or west thing, it usually has to do with sun rising and sun setting. However. The god who has turned is not Hades. Oh? It is, in fact, Ares. Okay. Ares is the god of war. And in this book, I don't know how early it's revealed, but anyway, if you haven't read it, it's not a major spoiler. He is trying to start a war between the gods. I mean, it's kind of his thing. Like, it's kind of his aesthetic. I wouldn't blame him. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could blame him because... You know, the gods working together are more powerful than the gods part, but whatever. I'm not going to go through the rest of it just because it's... What do they lose? What's the thing that they lose? Which which one? The... the the last line that's most important in the end. I cannot tell you that. I'm so sorry. On, I already know that they're going to go to the underworld and everything. Yeah, unfortunately, I am unable to share that information. However, it's a pretty light read, so you could you could just read it yourself. Cough, cough. Maybe. I will utilize my local library and maybe try that after I'm done with the Hunger Games series. <laughs> they just enough. came out with, a, with another book to add to her already completed trilogy to make it a quad, quadri? Quadrilogy? No. Quadrilogy? Yeah, I think it's quadrilogy. No, it's not quadrilogy. Four books. I know five books is a four, quintet. Fourth? Yes. I don't know five what, books is a quintet. I don't know what four Quartet is. is when four people sing. So our quartility... That sounds like (laughs) fertility. All right. Anyway, long story short. She wrote a fourth book. Yep. And there's prophecies, I'm sure. Really? In Hunger Games? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, absolutely not. It is dystopian. There's no magic. It's just pain and agony. Why did you say there are prophecies? I just meant we're we're talking. Oh, we're going back to prophecies. (laughs) We're talking about prophecies. That's kind of debatable at this moment. But yeah. So back to the topic. So that's a prophecy. prophecies we will talk about prophecies af as foretold so let's talk a little bit about plot process the prophecies that are given in the percy jackson series kind of lay out what's going to happen throughout the books and it's an interesting design because it lets the reader try and guess what's going to fulfill those parts of the prophecy as they're going and that really comes into play later on where a character who's being set up for one thing ends up not being the prophesied character. The prophecy ends up being about someone else. So in the the realm of plot design, how do you foresee what your characters are going to do? And how do you outline that? Or how do you map that out in your brain? So for me, I am notoriously bad at writing endings. I have three of my seven projects right now that I actively have no idea how they end. And I have everything in the beginning planned out. And that's not good. Let me tell you, do not be like me. Do not be a pantser like Scribe. You need to know what happens in your story. But a lot of times I find that even when I do have an ending, the middle happens with my characters. Even if I need them to get to point A to point B, something happens along the way and things fall into place. Mm. That being said, it is important to have an end goal in mind, even if you end up not using it, at least for direction. So you're not wandering. So you're not writing a million page blurb just to find out that there was no real context at the end of it. And one of the ways that I like to stay on tap is by the use of foreshadowing. 
Because if I use something that foreshadows, I must then post-shadow. I must follow through on that foreshadowing. If I mention in great detail this very important golden watch that one of my characters has been carrying around that his grandfather gave him, and that his grandfather said to him that he would need it in his time of need, I really must utilize that watch in some way towards the end, or what have I done? I've written about the Battle of Waterloo for a million pages just to tell about how a dead guy looted bodies, or a guy looted dead bodies. You get it. I I got you. That's also called a throwback. That's also used in literature, Mm -hmm. and if you don't know what I'm doing a throwback to, you should listen to our first few episodes. Wow. Oh? Well done. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. That snaps for you. Snaps for you. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I like to use plot devices such as foreshadowing to keep me on target so that I can meet those requirements that I've already laid out for myself. Nice. How about you? It's very similar. The Like I've, I've mentioned with writing in general, a lot of times I start with almost like a cinematic look at what a scene would look like. And then I try to build up to that scene. From a plot perspective, the way it kind of works for me is imagine drawing a map and having the bare bones. So having, you know, a city here, a river there, mountains there. And then as my characters move through it, all of the details get fleshed out. So they go through this set of woods or in this town, like you can kind of zoom in and you see where all the shops and the houses and the The palace is all set up. So applying that to plot, I start with a couple major events. And then, like you said, the middle happens with the characters. I really like that. My characters lead the fleshing out of what happens in between all of those major events. Mm -hmm. And I am a pantser. Yes. I also do typically start with an end goal. Yes. Or at the very least, I have a quest to start them out but yeah so you're talking about like foreshadowing and throwback so what kind of foreshadowing do you do in out of time oh i do less foreshadowing it out of time and i more utilize oh well there it goes it flies away no train of thought returned to me trains don't fly well, yours does. I take that back. Continue. <laughs> Your train literally flies. I heard that response as soon as I was saying it, and it was too late for me to take it back. <laughs> You're writing a story about a flying train. Tell I me cannot trains deny. Don't fly. Tell me trains don't. Heresy in this house of creation. Okay. In this so house of concept. Back, back to out of time. Right. If you don't use foreshadowing, what kind of plot devices do you use to set up the atmosphere or uh, kind of give hints about where the story might be going? I'm very proud of this. I've done something quite unique. When this book comes out, it will have three or four pages that are perforated that you are intended to rip out of the book. I know, gasp, horror, (laughs) but it's helpful because these will be devices like coronary reports, police documents, pages things that you can look at and then side by side go up against every person who's talking and laying out their evidence and you'll be able to check their evidence. You'll be able to fact check exactly what they're saying about 
each of their suspects and the evidence that they have collected and how it lines up against the reports. You'll even have a notebook that you can order with a special copy that I'm planning on creating at some point that allows you to take notes along with each chapter. Hmm. It's going to be interesting, but I like the use of fact checking because there's nothing more fun than making a character say something purposefully wrong that has been proven in the past so that the writer can go, hang on a minute don't think that's what was said. And I love utilizing that interaction with the audience, having readers actually physically go back to a chapter, to a page, to a phrase, to find and remember this is what was actually said or this is what was actually used. Even if it's something that the character themselves did not get to observe, if that was something that the reader got uh, just through being a, a part of this world as a passive observer, that's something I really like to use. So it's not exactly foreshadowing but in a way it is because you're getting to see, hey, that was wrong. That's going to come up later down the line. Uh, so almost you are you are the post shadow in this situation in Out of Time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Out of Time, the design with each chapter being a different point of view every single time mm-hmm. makes it a real challenge. I shouldn't say a challenge. As a writer, I think I would find that a challenge to not reveal too much information and give it all away. But from the chapters that I have read so far, it just makes for a very engaging and excellent read. So I am very much looking forward to you getting that done, and there's no amount of peer pressure at all to to finish it. I have been actively stuck on a chapter for almost a year now. I'm halfway through this book, and by halfway, I mean half of this book is almost completely ready for publishing. It has been edited twice, It is in beta testing. It is available for my beta readers to actively read like I would publish it. The other half is sketches, a concept. It's it's terrifying to me. I know exactly how it ends. Don't get me wrong. I haven't pants. I have not forgotten my ending. Scribe and I have meticulously planned out the ending, and he has helped me file my loopholes away. But I, I haven't written it yet. And that's one of the things I'm really happy about this challenge. This is hopefully going to reignite my spark to finish what I want to be my first published work. And that's my goal in this, is that hopefully by the end of this writing challenge, I have started this next chapter. So if anybody here is listening right now and they want to help me along, feel free to stop by my Instagram at the Violet Author, comment on any of my posts, and just yell at me. Nicely, but yell at me. Go right. Go right. Uh, and if you name the correct flower character's name has then i might even send you a segment in your dm of the book who knows if you can name the correct flower that this character's nickname is of before i start posting the lovely character art that someone made for me recently for my story that i'm very grateful for you guys will get to see a bit more of a visual of what each of these characters are going to be but all of that to say no foreshadowing more post shadowing interesting What about you? I know in your world, because you are a bit more of a fantasy writer, you do use a lot more prophecy and foreshadowing in different ways that I do not. So can you give us an example of a time that that has been used in one of your worlds? Yeah, so I veered away from prophecy a while back because of the whole chosen one trope. Yes. For those of you who don't know, the chosen one is someone who is marked by destiny, fate, a horse, whatever it may be for this great destiny or great accomplishment and they go on this epic quest and then return in glory. Probably the the classic chosen one 
is Frodo, even though he's not so much the chosen one by prophecy, but the chosen one by choice. He's still chosen by destiny to take the ring to Mount Doom and destroy it. So I veered away from that a long time ago because it just got weird very quickly for me to like have this overwhelming weight of this character must do this. And then the whole like clairvoyant seeing the future thing isn't really a power that I want to give my characters. It just rubs me the wrong way a little bit. But foreshadowing, I do foreshadowing. So I'll talk about that. And I should also mention, I think there is a time and a place for prophecy. And I think it's very fun to use prophecy. I think of the Fablehaven series by Brandon Mole. I think I've mentioned it before. They use prophecy and it's a lot uh, It's a lot like the Percy Jackson prophecies where it's, you know, like in rhyme and it's given by the fates. And it's a lot of fun, again, because you get to kind of have an idea of what's going to come while at the same time having no idea what's about to come. And so you're reading it constantly fact-checking being, is the prophecy now being fulfilled? And then you come to a point later and you're like, oh, now the prophecy is definitely being fulfilled. So there's a place for prophecy. And I might pick it up and use it in some of my books, but I'm not currently. Adventures in Fantasy, which is the one I'm currently working on, is all over the timeline. So I just finished writing like the last three stories in one of the arcs. And now I'm going back and writing before that for another completely separate arc. And I'm starting to lay out the seeds of foreshadow for the arc that I just finished. And in the meantime, in all of this, I'm dropping hints towards a third arc that I will be working on in the future. So yeah, foreshadow for me is a lot of little things Mm. that you might not pick up on, but once you start to see, you won't miss. Yes. Oh, I completely agree. And, And one of my favorite things in foreshadowing is when you can literally look back and see all of the foreshadowings that you've missed. And I think that there's several times in your short story series where we see that. Uh, If you go back and you witness little events that might point to different events, little comments that might point to different events down the line, I really enjoy looking back at the stuff that you've written and and seeing names that reappear, like the name that you caught me with recently when I beta-read one of your pieces that has been yet to release to the public. But let me tell you, oh my goodness, readers, when you get to this, it is the coolest and i absolutely (laughs) loved it but all that to say i sat there and didn't even recognize it until scribe went hey did you did you uh did you notice this name and the minute that he pointed it out i was like oh my gosh oh my gosh you're kidding you're kidding i was was actually really proud of that one because i didn't want to slap it across the reader's face and say this is the name recognize it or else i also didn't want to have to explain it to every single person so the fact that i was able to say hey did you notice this and then you put the pieces together yourself that makes me really proud and so it tells me that i did a good job because it means that you did the foreshadowing was subtle enough that no one's being slapped willy-nilly and it's clear enough that someone can put the pieces together but yeah that Half of that, half of that story is published. So get well acquainted with Adventures in Fantasy at scribeofworlds.com. And once that story does go live, you will, you will pick it up faster than Violet here. Oh yeah, probably, probably. Talking about dropping hints, there's actually a project that I'm currently working on about a character that no one knows the name of. And 
by the time this gets released, it might be live. So I'm actually going to read a section from it. Yes. So the, the prompt from a couple weeks ago was good old what's their name. And the challenge was to write a short story about someone who no one can remember the, the name of. And I took this full force. I did another thing that we did not recommend on this podcast, which was write in the second person. Mm-hmm. The person reading it is experiencing it. And then it is also completely written in dialogue where this person is just talking to you. Yes. Long story short, short story even shorter. Anyway, this person approaches you, asks, what's your name? And you say your name and they say, thank you. And then they leave and then you go up and ask them what their name is. And they say, I can only tell you if I turn you into a ghost. And then all of a sudden you are in this weird world uh, and we'll pick it up somewhere within that remember we're in the waters of thought and idea that's their thoughts and idea filling this world like a cloudy water fills a glass not our ideas no our thoughts are clear as day like silver skates soaring across the frosty face of a frozen fjord that's why you can hit me we exist in the same space I just also happen to exist in the physical space as well as this mental facility fashioned for mystical moments. That's also why all these thoughts are bombarding you. If I had any control, like those inhibitions you just displayed while refraining from hitting that little girl, I'd lift a finger to my mouth plugging the raging river. But you're stuck with it now. All for a name. What's in a name, anyhow? Some kind of meaning. I know that. A meaning of your person. But does that mean a name passed on through generations carries more weight? Does John Jacob Jingleheiner Schmidt have the same person as someone else with the same name? I might suppose slight similarity, seeing as so many shout while they stride down the street. So I have been meticulously going through this story, dropping hints about this person's name. And no one has been able to guess it yet. No one. In that section I just read, there are two hints about a possible name. And that's all I will leave you with. But I've I've been trying to drop hints clear enough that people can pick it up without it being, again, so clear that anyone can guess it. It's a weird challenge of trying to know where you're going and foreshadow, especially because characters don't do what you want them to. That's tough. So let's talk about that for a little bit because you can have the most outlined plot in the world and have a very detailed map, so to speak. But then all of a sudden they decide to, instead of going through the forests of yore, they switch track and take a tumble down the raging river of inanity. So what do you do when you have foreshadow that you've put in your story but now your characters no longer want to do what the foreshadow would have them do Mm. oh that's tough i've definitely had this happen before in my writings none of my current stories uh ones in my past Mm -hmm. but i've definitely come across this issue before i think that a way to circumnavigate it is to write in that the characters don't want to do the thing (laughs) either have a horrible accident that literally forces them to go down this route even though they really wanted to go and do this other thing and it was really important for them to go do this other thing sure or 
you can just write the classic disgruntled chosen one who really is doing absolutely everything possible. A Jonah, if you will, uh, if you're up on that biblical lore that's trying to run away from their prophecy, but still seems to keep ending up in the same area. If your characters are not cooperating, let that happen to your advantage. Never let your characters override you completely if it is possible. The advice you gave about having an inciting incident for the change is really good because Mm -hmm. it gives you an amount of control over your characters and their decisions while still allowing you to be free in the process of doing what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Also, one, you might end up having to go back and delete all the foreshadow and replace it with new foreshadow. And that's okay. We'll talk more about editing in another podcast. But you can still figure out ways to use that foreshadowing. It might be difficult, but now that they're going down this raging river, you might have something else pop up and you realize, wow, this actually matches the same hints I've been dropping along. I can still work this in. And in that case, you're just tweaking it. You're not getting rid of it completely, which I find easier but sometimes it's easier to just change it. So yeah, keep a keep an open mind as your characters kind of grow and develop and want to do their own thing, but keep your hands on the rein. Characters, a character who is just going off with no direction is not a character people particularly like to read about. Now, you can write a character who is just wandering around. One of my favorite books of all time is called Terran Wanderer. It's from the Perdane Chronicles, which also has prophecy in it. So, you know, but in this book, Terran has started as an assistant pig keeper, grown into a warrior, and now has no idea what to do with his life. He goes on an identity crisis journey of wandering from village to village, philosophy to philosophy, and it works because there's still that overarching plot of him trying to find himself while he's just wandering throughout this land. But if you do that, go into it knowing you're going to do that. Don't just let your character go off on a vision quest unless that's necessary for them. And if you do allow your characters to wander without meaning, that does not mean that your plot does not have meaning just because your character is aimless does not mean your story does not have a point exactly one of the beautiful things about that talking about throwbacks to other stories one in each story basically he's like trying to figure out what's the meaning of life and the people he meets keep giving him different philosophies so he goes and apprentice with a blacksmith And the blacksmith says, life is like a forge. It might beat on you, but it's making something out of you. Mm -hmm. He goes and learns how to make a cloak. And the weaver tells him, life is like a loom. There's all of these different things that come in and out of our lives, and they get woven together into the tapestry of the world. There's someone who lives by this river, has hundreds of kids, and not really, but has a huge family. (laughs) has a huge family hundreds hundreds of kids yes i'm going with it now he has hundreds of kids <laughs> hundreds and are you talking about your own <laughs> yes no not my own kids not my my own family <laughs> your biological family but the way he lives his life is 
the river will just provide. And things wash up on the river, and he finds things in his wanderings, and he makes stuff. Oh, out that's of it. where he finds all the children. <laughs> they got sent down the they river. They keep washing up on shore. But each time he kind of calls back to the philosophy that he just learned and says, Well, but this is this is what life is like. And the person's like, No, 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 life isn't like that. This is what life is like. But in the last book, every single one of the people he meets shows back up. Mm-hmm. And it's a really beautiful moment where all of them kind of get their moment of recognition in the overall plot of the series instead of just their relevance to the plot of the book. So yeah, so like you said, even a it almost feels like a filler episode, you know, where nothing really happens, but they just had to do it so they could make the full 20-some episodes for the season. <laughs> but it's yeah. such a rich wandering time like i said it's it's my favorite book of the entire series one of my favorite books of all time highly recommend it i would even go so far as to say you could read that book on its own without the rest of the series and get so much from it which makes sense as to why your closing statement is often wander well yeah that informed a lot of my a lot of my philosophy on my own life but yeah back to the back to the topic of plots uh we are kind of running out of time so what advice would you say to someone who is trying to write a prophecy about their characters? What plot points would you include in an overarching prophecy and or outline of a plot? Well, when you're writing a prophecy, I think a good place to start is by utilizing a person, a place, and a thing. Mm-hmm. Those three items will get someone somewhere. Whether or not it is the person that is meant to follow that prophecy, it will get someone somewhere. (laughs) Include the vague description of an individual, be it their gender or their hair or their eyes or a distinguishing feature about them. We were talking about uh, quirks and uh, interesting characteristics in one of our past episodes, so definitely utilize that. A thing, an object, be it a gold pocket watch or a musty pocket book of some kind. I'm really into pockets today. I don't know what it is. What have you got? And a location. What is what these pockets is? <laughs> and a location. But be careful not to be too specific. Nothing is more fun than being vague. I like being vague, mostly because I never know what I'm talking about. And so giving people a chance to guess gives me a chance to figure out what I was talking about. So don't be afraid to be vague about it. Use the the West as a way to say somewhere where the sun sets, like we heard earlier. Use a, a statue that's pointing in a location to push your characters down a road following their finger when in reality they were trying to get you to run away from the danger that you were meant to go towards all along. There's a lot of fun things you can do. Don't make it too easy for your characters. That's just plain boring. A, a person, a place, and a thing. That's my advice. Nice. I like that. That's that's clear, simple. And you can keep repeating that. Mm-hmm. Have two lines about a person, place, or thing, and then talk about another place or talk about mm-hmm. another thing. Exactly. It's a, it's a sustainable approach to prophecy. And we like sustainability. Oh, definitely. Especially in this economy, (laughs) sustainability is key. I don't remember if I actually wrote it down or not, but I did say that when writing a prophecy, a lot of smoke, oh, I did, a lot of mists and breaking fortune cookies in a very serious manner is recommended. So throw on the old fog machine, get some fortune cookies out. Hopefully our wandering conversation led you to some ideas about writing a prophecy 
or plot outline of your own. Mm-hmm. You know, draw draw from stories like The Lightning Thief or the Brand Mall series I was talking about. He actually wrote another one called Beyonders, which also has a prophecy in it. Or if you're really struggling, go back to what you wrote for the history prompt and write a prophecy for that world. Yeah. Or even go back to the history prompt, create a character who's standing at the start of where you started with your history and write a prophecy telling what's going to happen in the history section. It's kind of cheating. Yeah. But you know what? It it's gets it not done. cheating. You're utilizing your resources. That's never cheating. And being sustainable while doing it. Exactly. And in this economy, it is necessary. It is necessary. But regardless, have fun with this one. And wander well. Wander well. Bye-bye.